to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 19, as we follow along with today's lesson. So Paul's warning and his own response to the fact that he knows he's going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He labors. He uses that which God has given to him in order that he might be accepted by the Lord. Romans 14, beginning with verse 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set at naught your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now Paul has been warning the Romans here that we're not to judge each other. Leave that to the Lord. You're not my servant, therefore it isn't mine to judge your service. You're the Lord's servant. He's going to judge you. And Paul says that God is able to make us to stand. We're, We're really not to judge, but we will all be judged by our master. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. The day of reckoning. You will be required to give an account unto the Lord. Might as well prepare for that and recognize that God isn't just going to accept us all as one big mob or group into heaven, but individually. Salvation is an individual thing. Your relationship with the Lord is an individual thing. Your service to the Lord is an, is an individual thing, and you will have to give an account unto him for that service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work will be made manifest, For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. Our works are going to be tried by fire. And if any man's work abides, that is the trial by fire, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Much of the work that is done is done with improper motives. 
Much of it is done just to be seen by man or to be uh, recognized and acknowledged by man. You want the praise and the glory of man. You do things in such a way as to draw attention to yourself while you're doing it. So people will know how generous you've been or how sweet you are or how kind you were. Uh, you sort of broadcast your good deeds. And Jesus said, take heed that you do not your righteousness before men to be seen of men. Don't let that be the motive. For he said, then you have your reward. And those works that were done to be seen of men, uh, to be acknowledged by man, to be receive man's glory, hey, you've already got your reward. You've already got it. In the recognition by man and in the praise that has come from man and in the plaque that you have there on the wall that tells of your great contribution. Just look at it, enjoy it, because that's all the reward you're going to get. You say, Lord, you know, you know, I did all, didn't you see all those plaques on my wall? All of those things I did for the community and all. Where's my reward? He said, you've had it. So, our works tried by fire, those which are pure will remain. You'll be rewarded for them. But if any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer the loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. So, when the Lord comes, there is the reckoning, and the servants are brought to give an account to the Lord for what they had done with what God had given to them. And to the one that had received the five talents, he came and he brought it other five, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me the five talents, and behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, if you're not faithful in the little things that God has entrusted to you, then how would you ever expect him to entrust you with the big things of the kingdom? Now, here, you see, his place in the kingdom was to be in relationship to his faithfulness to that which God had entrusted him with now. This is the proving ground. This is the place of testing. This is where the metal is being tested. And your reward and your place in the kingdom will be related to your faithfulness and your diligence in the things that God has entrusted into you, your hands now. Beautiful reward. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The approbation of our Lord. Beautiful. You've been faithful in few things. Now I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. 
kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, joy. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So he that had received the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me the two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And the very same words of commendation were given to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Same reward. Same words of approval. Sort of nice to know that it isn't how great a ministry we might have or how little a ministry we might have. The reward is the same if we are faithful to that which God has placed in our keeping. That's sort of wonderful to know. Unto whom much is given, the scripture said, much is required. So if God has given you more, then the responsibility and the obligation is greater to use that for his glory. The reward was for the faithfulness in using what God had entrusted. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. These were excuses that he was offering, but offering on the basis of a misconception. I know you're a hard man. You're a hard taskmaster. You're a demanding master. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. He didn't say I'm hard. He said, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now, there are many people who shy away from serving the Lord because they fear that he is hard, that he's a driver. But God will never call you to do anything but what he doesn't equip you to do it and enable you to do it. Jesus, or I mean, the, the, the New Testament says, Paul said, for it is him who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what makes serving the Lord such a delight. Because, you see, he puts it in your will first. And, and thus, it, you, you know, he gives you the desires of your heart. He's the one who creates those desires in your heart for him and for the things of his service and all. And, and thus, you're just doing what's delightful. It's not hard. His yoke is easy. His burden is light because he writes his law right on the fleshly tablets of our heart, both to will and then uh, the capacity to do. So, false conceptions. It would be totally dishonest to reap where you have not sown. He accuses the Lord of that. 
but the Lord is not dishonest. But he gives his conception of the Lord, uses that for the basis of his excuse for having done nothing. I was afraid. And therefore, I hid the talent in the earth. And here it is, intact. The Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and slothful servant. Laziness. And Jesus nails it. I mean, he said, I was really afraid. The Lord said, no, you're lazy. Wicked because of your concept of the Lord. But lazy. And it is the laziness that kept you from doing anything with what I entrusted to you. You might go through the Proverbs and read the things that Solomon said about the slothful man or the lazy man. On a, uh, uh, in the 26th chapter of Proverbs, he sort of gets on a roll. And he says, The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets, you know. And so he doesn't go out to work because he might get devoured by a lion out there. And then he said, as a door turns upon his hinges, so doth the slothful man upon his bed. <laughs> it's just, you know, like the door just. But then this is really bad. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom, and it grieves him to bring it again to his mouth. He's so lazy he won't even eat. I mean, now that's bad. And then he said, the desire, and this is in 21, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. I mean, you have the desire, but you won't work for it. And, and so you, it, it, the desire just destroys you. So Jesus orders that well, he told him, if you, if you thought this of me, then you should have at least put the money in the bank. I could have received interest on it. And then he ordered that they take him, the talent from him, give it to him which has the ten. For unto every one that hath shall be given. You prove your faithfulness to the Lord, and he will then increase the responsibilities. You will have more, more opportunities. If you're not doing anything with what God has, you say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, you know, just waiting. You know, that's a good excuse to do nothing. And you'll be waiting the rest of your life. He wants you to use what he's given you. Begin using what he's given you. May not may only be one talent. Use it. And then to him that has, more will be given. But he that has not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And then he ordered that they cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. And Jesus describes it as a place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus speaks of this place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Matthew 8, 12, he says that the Jews 
who really were the prime inheritors of the kingdom will be cast out because, of course, their rejection of him. And the Gentiles will be brought in. And when they see the Gentiles partaking of the kingdom, they will be cast into the furnace of fire. I mean, the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. That is, the Jews who have rejected Jesus as Messiah. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 13, there was the parable of the tares that were sown with the wheat. And the tares in the last days, and and again, this judgment that will come when the Lord comes and we have to give an account of ourselves. The tares will be cast into a furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then um, the guests who seek to come to the wedding feast who are not clothed in the right garment, not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, trying to come into the heavenly scene apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot. Take him away. Cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The wicked servant who said, My Lord delays his coming and began to beat the other servants and mistreat them and misuse his position of authority. The Lord comes when he's not watching and will cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The slothful servant here now who buried the Lord's talent joins them. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we come into the final part of the chapter in which Jesus talks now of the judgment that will come upon the world when he returns. The world is going to be going through this period of great tribulation when God will judge the world for its wickedness and for the rejection of Jesus. And the world's population will probably be decimated during this period of God's wrath and great tribulation that will come upon the earth. But there will be those who will survive and will be alive on the earth when Jesus comes again in clouds and great glory with his saints to establish God's kingdom upon the earth. But the fact that you survive the great tribulation does not guarantee or ensure that you'll be allowed to live on into the kingdom age. When the Lord returns with his church, then shall he gather together the nations to judge, and he will separate them at that time those which will be allowed 
to enter into the kingdom and those that will be cut off at that point won't even be given the privilege of entering into the kingdom age. So there will be those who will survive the great tribulation and who will live still on into the kingdom age when our Lord returns with his church in glory, in the glory of his power and majesty. So he's talking now about the judgment of the, of the nations that will take place when he returns. He talked about the judgment of his saints, of, of his servants, rather, they weren't all saints, but of his servants. They will be judged. Now there will also be a corresponding judgment on the world. So when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Glorious coming again of Christ in majesty, power, sitting upon the throne, taking the authority over the earth, when the kingdoms of this world will now be the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he shall reign. And he establishes now the throne of David once again, sits upon that throne to begin his rule over the earth in the kingdom age. Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall, say, he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This was God's desire from the beginning. This was God's purpose, that the earth live under the government of God, a righteous kingdom. And you're going to have the privilege now of entering into this kingdom that God has purposed from, from the beginning. God's original purpose, God's original intent for man was not the world as we see it today in rebellion against God with all of the crimes and assaults and misery and junk that is here. Pain, sorrow, death, suffering. God didn't intend that. And so they'll have the privilege of living on the world as God intended the world to be, a world that is in harmony with God, a world that is in subjection to the authority of the reign of Jesus Christ. For he said, I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirsty and gave you to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, 
Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. A cup of cold water given to the prophet, in the name of the prophet, you will receive the prophet's reward. Jesus wants us to be kind and considerate towards the least of our brethren. And inasmuch as you do it unto them, you do it unto the Lord. He takes it as unto him. Then shall he say also to those on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then shall they also answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick? In prison and did not minister unto you. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not unto the least of these, ye did it not to me. And all of these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. The great division, the dividing. Now, Jesus in the kingdom parables, Matthew 13, gave a parable, beginning with verse 37, of the field in which the wheat was planted, <clears throat> the good seed that was sown in the field. And this parable of the kingdom and the tares growing with the wheat uh, is related to these parables of the end of the age and uh, when the Lord comes and the things that will happen at that time. And uh, so when he gave the parable of the, of the tares, how that they had sown the good uh, seed uh, let's read it, uh, verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So, the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where did these tares come from? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? He said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the, in that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but then gather the wheat into the barn. The separation and the judging of, again, the, 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 the church, the servants. Judgment begins at the house of God. Now, the disciples asked him to explain that parable. 
when the multitude was gone. It's interesting, he had given several parables. This is the one that puzzled them. This is the one they wanted explained. <coughs> they said, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. So Jesus is, is laying the whole thing out. He's telling you and giving you what each one is. And thus you don't have to wonder about the symbolism here. He tells you exactly what it is. Field is the world. Good seed are the children of the kingdom. Tares are the children of the wicked one. <clears throat> the enemy, the Satan, has sown the tares. And the harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, and who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Day of judgment, day of reckoning is coming, not only for the church, but for the world itself, when the Lord returns to establish his kingdom. When the Lord does establish his kingdom, you will either be in and a part of the kingdom or you will be outside of the kingdom where there is weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. It's serious. It's your future. It's your eternal destiny. But you see, tonight, you are either in the kingdom of God or you are outside of the kingdom of God. It is possible that you are in church, but you have no oil for your lamp. It is possible that you are in church, but you are not using what God has entrusted to you. You've buried the talent. Just being in church will not guarantee your being in the kingdom of heaven. You may be a terror, a terror. <laughs> and so let a man examine himself, for if we will judge ourselves, we will not be judged of God. We will give an account. There will be the day of reckoning. And then we'll be determined whether or not we are privileged to live in the glory of his kingdom, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Or, on the other hand, those that will be cast out into outer darkness, into everlasting punishment for their failure. So, 
serious business, all I can do is warn you. It is your obligation to seek the Lord and to seek him for your service. What would you have me to do, Lord, for the kingdom of God? How would you have me to use that which you've entrusted into my keeping? How can I multiply, Lord, that which you have done and entrusted with me that it might be used for your glory? Jesus has just concluded his study with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. It is often called the Olivet Discourse. This study was prompted by the prediction that Jesus made concerning the destruction of the temple. There would not be one stone left standing upon another. The disciples wanted to know when that was going to happen. And what would be the signs of his coming and the end of the world? So in chapters 24 and 25, Jesus gave the signs of his coming, the end of the world, and then he gave a series of parables emphasizing the importance of our being ready because he is going to be coming when he is not expected. In such a time as you think not. And thus parables that dealt with the importance of being ready and the importance of watching, being alert. Now, chapter 26, it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. That would be the discourse there on the Mount of Olives concerning the prophecies of his coming and the parables that related to that coming. He said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Now, this Olivet Discourse is thought to have taken place on Tuesday. Sunday, the triumphant entry, was on the 10th of the month of Nisan, which would be equivalent to the 6th of April in our calendar. But in the year 32, it was in the Jewish calendar, the 10th of Nisan. Now on the 10th day of the month of Nisan, which was the first month of the uh, Jewish year, they selected the lamb for the Passover offering. It is interesting that it was on the 10th that Jesus presented himself as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. On the 14th day was the day of Passover. The 14th of Nisan was the day of the Passover feast. The feast in which they commemorated the deliverance out of Egypt, the final plague 
the death of the firstborn and their uh, being spared the disaster of that plague by the blood of the lamb that was placed upon the doorpost and the lintel of the house. On the 15th of Nisan began the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a seven-day feast in which they ate only unleavened bread. They would not eat any uh, bread with uh, any uh, leaven in it, the, the rising elements. And um, the 15th, beginning the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, was a seven-day feast, and it went until the 21st. Now, the first day and the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread were holy days or Sabbath days, and they were to be observed as a Sabbath day, a day that was holy unto the Lord, the first and the last day of uh, the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so, if indeed Sunday was the 10th of Nisan, then Thursday would have been the 14th, the day of the Passover. The 15th, Friday, would have been the holy Sabbath day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would then change the traditional Good Friday crucifixion to Thursday, which then would equate to the three days and the three nights uh, that was predicted that he should be in the earth. Something to consider. After two days, the feast of the Passover, spoken on Tuesday, that would put it on Thursday. And the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Now, in another portion of the city, then assembled together the chief priest and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. Now, at this particular time in the history of Israel, there were two high priests. Caiaphas was the high priest who was recognized by the Jews, but he came into disfavor with the Roman government, and the Roman government appointed a second high priest by the name of Annas who was actually the son-in-law of Caiaphas. And so you have an interesting situation in which there are two high priests. It's not a contradiction in the scripture. It actually took place. One, a Roman appointee. The other one, recognized by the Jewish people as the legitimate high priest. And so they were gathered at the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. They were planning, they were plotting, they were seeking some way to get hold of Jesus. They had determined that he had to die. 
But they said, let's not do it on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. In other words, they're setting now their plot. We've got to kill him. But let's not do it on the feast day. We don't want to uproar among the people. But you see, they weren't in control. God was in control. And it was ordained by God that he should be crucified on the day of the Passover feast. Because he was the true sacrificial lamb whose blood keeps us from death. So that whole experience in Egypt was only a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes about the new moons, the Sabbath days, and their feast days and all, in Colossians he said, these were all just the shadow of the things that were to come. The real substance is Jesus. So when they took the lamb and they killed the lamb and put the blood upon the doorpost of the house so that when the Lord passed through the land of Egypt that night, he said, wherever I see the blood on the doorpost of the house, I will pass by that house. The firstborn will be spared. Here is a, the, the developing of a type of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would be slain for the sins of the world. The blood of Jesus Christ upon our lives, spiritually speaking, causes us to be freed from the judgment of death for our sins. And this was all just the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Thus, it was important that the fulfillment take place on the day in which they celebrated the Passover. And it was not by accident that Jesus was crucified on the day of the Passover because he is our Passover lamb. He is the one who has freed us from the penalty of death for our sins. In like token, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples on the feast day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was the feast in which they celebrated the first fruits of the great harvest. They would set out a corner of the field and they would cut the wheat and they would bind it into sheaves and they would bring it in and offer a wave offering with these sheaves of wheat before the Lord. And these would be offered unto God as the first fruits. We've got a great harvest out here and, and these are the first fruits we offer to God. So it was appropriate and right that the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples and the church was born on the day of Pentecost and some 3,000 people were saved. They were the first fruits of the great harvest that continues to the present time as the Holy Spirit is still at work in the world in hearts and lives of men and women. 
That is why so many people believe that when the Lord comes again to establish his kingdom, that it'll take place during the Feast of Tabernacles. Because the Feast of Tabernacles was the feast in which they celebrated twofold God's preservation of their fathers through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and secondly, his keeping of the promise and bringing them into the land that he had promised unto their father, their Abraham. So God is preserving us through this wilderness experience, but he's going to keep his promise and he's going to bring us into that glorious kingdom that has been promised. And that is why many commentators believe that the actual second coming of Christ will take place on the day of the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, you, and, and thus uh, the thing is we don't know which year. There are a lot of guesses, and every year there are new books coming out uh, with guesswork, but uh, chances are it will take place during the Feast of the Tabernacles because that was the third of the three major feasts, and that one has yet not had its New Testament fulfillment. That's still casting a shadow of things to come, and that coming of the kingdom is yet to come. So uh, that is yet future. So they had determined not on the feast day. Now, in reality, Jesus was the one in control. They were trying to control the situation, but Jesus was in control all the way. He had said, no man takes my life from me. I give my life. And Jesus was in control. Though they sought to be in control, he took it out of their hands because it was necessary for the fulfillment of the type that he be crucified on the day of the Passover. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper. Now, the other Gospels tell us that at this feast there was Mary and Martha. In fact, Martha was helping to serve at this feast. So typical of Martha. Where would you expect her to be? Uh, that's just her nature. And uh, so uh, she was serving. It was in the house of Simon the leper, and we are told that Lazarus was also at the feast. He was sitting at the table, and many people were just coming in and out just to look at Lazarus because he had been dead and buried for four days and, of course, was brought back to life. So he was a curiosity, sort of a spectacle, and people were coming in and out just to look at the guy who had been buried for four days and was eating now uh, at this feast in the house of Simon the leper. There came unto him a woman. The other gospels named the woman. John tells us it was Mary, the sister of Martha. Now again, so typical of Mary. It's interesting how they just, you know, their temperaments and all, there they are, right? In, you know, according to their, their nature, Mary was the worshiper. She was the one that was sitting always at the feet of Jesus, just worshiping, adoring, listening. 
Martha was the busy one, always getting things ready, making sure the little sandwiches were all set and, you know, the iced tea was ready. And, uh, and, and it, so it was just typical of the sisters and, and just the different uh, temperament or nature uh, of, of the sisters. And so there came unto him a woman, Mary, having an alabaster box of very precious or costly perfume ointment, and she poured it on his head as he was sitting there at the dinner. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? Now, this was very precious, very costly perfume. In fact, it could have been sold for several thousand dollars. But Mary, in this moment of adoration and love, just poured it on the head of Jesus. Now, again, John's gospel tells us that the one who really objected the one who was angry over this was Judas Iscariot. And it was Judas who said, why this waste? We could have sold this for several thousand dollars and we could have put the money in our treasury. But John gives us a little insight concerning Judas. He said, he did not say this because he was really concerned with the poor. He said this because he was the one that was keeping the bag with the money and he had been thieving out of it. So uh, it gives you a little insight into this. For this ointment or perfume might have been sold for much and given to the poor. It's amazing to me how sanctimonious hypocrites can sound sometimes. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? The woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. You have the poor with you always, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this perfume on my body, she did it for my burial. This is uh, a, just a pre-kind of burial uh, perfuming. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever the gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. So... Jesus was right. We've told you tonight as a memorial for Mary that she was the one that did this act of love and devotion unto Jesus. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest. Now you see he had been rebuffed. He was holding the bag that they had their, you know, he was sort of the treasure of the group. He took care of the bills but have been thieving out of the bag. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Matthew in our next broadcast. 
as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on Mary's adoration for Jesus. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Matthew 25 through 26 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of being a part of the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that which you've entrusted into our keeping. May we be diligent. May we be faithful. Using that, Lord, which you have entrusted to us, that it might be multiplied, that we might be able to lay at your feet that which is yours plus, that which we've been able to gain through what you have given us. May we be diligent about the things of the kingdom, not slothful, but diligent, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? May the Lord quicken his word to our hearts that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only as we Prepare ourselves for that day of reckoning when we stand before him and give an account. The Lord bless you, be with you, give you a beautiful week. And may he grant you many opportunities of increasing the talents, using that which he has given to you for his glory. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I have a question for you. How would you like to go from Genesis to Revelation in one year using a daily Bible devotional? And what if this devotional was written by Pastor Chuck? Then I've got great news. Be one of the many thousands of readers who have enjoyed reading Wisdom for Today, a daily devotional that speaks volumes of wisdom to apply to your everyday life. Come alongside Pastor Chuck as he takes you on a journey from Genesis to Revelation, providing God's truth to answer your questions and discover how this might very well become your most beloved and cherished devotional ever. To order your copy of Wisdom for Today, a leather hardback, for yourself or for a loved one, please call the word for today at 
272-9673. Or visit us online for more information and to read a preview at thewordfortoday.org.